This is Art House Roadshow, a podcast on film, faith, and mental health with your hosts, Kyle Myers and Hank Spaulding. You're listening to an Art House Roadshow movie review. And welcome back, movie nerds, to another episode of the Art House Roadshow. My name is Hank Klein Solo here today for a review of Darren Aronofsky's The Whale. Um, I'm, I would look look forward to hearing from Kyle and kind of if he ever sees this film, his thoughts on it. But for now, you get some uh, interpretations from me. Uh, I should add Happy New Year, everyone. It's good to be with you here. We hope that you had a good holiday season and that you are excited to talk about this movie uh, together as we um, unpack a lot of those themes uh, that are here. Um before we get started, lots of cool new stuff that we'll be doing this year. Look forward to our uh, Body Snatcher podcast, which will be coming up here shortly. Um, we'll also be covering this semester, this year, uh, Creed, some elements there. And there'll probably be a few more movie reviews here on the horizon. Um, most likely uh, the movie A Man Called Otto. I plan on getting a review out for that. And then coming up in February, we will have Ant-Man and the Wasp. But there's lots of other art house films, too. Um that are not big budget Marvel movies that we will cover as well. But anyway, let's dive in, shall we? So for those of you who may not know, uh, Aronofsky is the one who's behind uh, films like Mother, uh, which was a big hit. I know a big fan of, uh, uh, Kyle is a big fan of that film. Um, But also The Wrestler, which is one of my favorite films uh, that he has made, um, which is a really, really good Really, really good film. Uh, check that out. But also things like Noah and Black Swan. Um, if you are familiar with this director at all, you'll know that spiritual themes uh, pervade his movies. He's really into that. Um, and he has some, I think, good spiritual insights that he can come up with. But you know, some of the stuff he lays out there is a little thin as well. Uh, he got in trouble for Noah from people who are more fundamentalist of nature to uh some of his interpretation of that uh certain scenes in that film but i think overall noah does communicate very well um the central kind of motifs of what noah would have experienced in scripture now what's interesting um is that uh he darren aronofsky um lacks a certain kind of nuance when it comes to uh this film the whale in particular uh, one of the reasons why I was excited about this film is it marks kind of a, a mainstream return for Brendan Fraser, who I was a big fan of when I was younger. Um, listeners of the podcast um, of a certain age might remember him from George of the Jungle, um, but also uh, movies like The Mummy franchise. Uh, the Mummy and The Mummy Returns are still uh, two of my favorite kind of like monster flicks of all time. Uh, in fact, it's 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 uh, kind of hilarious that when you know Tom Cruise did his Mummy movie, um, they did a passing reference to it. But no matter how hard we try, we cannot replace what Brandon Fraser had done uh, in that original film. So, uh, nonetheless, uh, it was it's it's good to see him back in the mainstream. And there's lots of talks around him possibly uh, being nominated for um, some awards come award season. And I really hope he gets it because he's uh, suffered. Um, from kind of a lack of work he got injured um and then you know struggled to find work and there's a false rumors going around about him being difficult to work with and things of that nature and so um anyway i'm excited to see him back in the saddle so to speak um anyway uh i think this one this film the the whale 
is powerful, but it, it's missing in a lot of parts that I think could be done better. Um, you know, so for example, faith is a central theme of this film. There's a character named Thomas who's played by the same actor that um, plays the young boy in Iron Man 3 uh, and Endgame for that matter when he comes back to Tony's funeral. Um, so uh, he's trying to convert Charlie, basically. He's a part of this cult called New Life, which is a little bit of a fundamentalist cult using uh, Christian scriptures to talk about some end time prophecies. Now, what's interesting is that um, there's kind of a conflation in this film that scripture... Uh, so, for example, Charlie, who's the main character played by Brendan Fraser... Um, tells Thomas, who's the one, the missionary, that uh, he's read scripture and he thinks that it's uh, kind of sad because, you know, God's angry at the people, sends his son to die, and then only about 144,000 people uh, get saved. And, you know, obviously some people do interpret scripture like that, and I'm not downplaying that at all. But the problem is, is that is by no means the only way to interpret this text. You know, so for some people, even intellectuals, and this is a true of our culture here, as well as in this film, because uh, Charlie is an English professor, um, there it is assumed that the fundamentalist interpretation of Scripture is the only way to interpret Scripture, and that's just not true uh, for believers and academics. Um, and so, um, you know, the, this idea, I think, of um, this film, I think, is a really interesting intellectual exercise And in what does it mean to interpret the faith like what is the core motif is it judgment is it enabling is it care is it kindness um what is it is it uniqueness right uh, all these themes interplay and interweave with one another through this film uh, which is really impressive because it's it's only like uh, it's a micro cast i mean you got brendan fraser who's the main character but there's only about like five or so other main characters in this film um, it mostly, if, I mean, if not exclusively takes place in, uh, Charlie's apartment. Um, it's based on a stage play. And so, uh, it, it does afford itself to kind of this micro set mentality. So it's pretty interesting, um, in that regard, but, um, let's just kind of dive in here. Um, Charlie and the main kind of theme of this and like if you're going to go look at the log line for this film um an english professor uh charlie is a uh, uh trying to reestablish a relationship with his daughter um played by uh sadie sink um who plays ellie now if you that name sounds familiar to you sadie sink uh she plays max in stranger things um but um, this is uh, an interesting kind of movie in that regard. The kind of added layer of this is that um, the uh, character Brennan uh, Fraser is is very overweight. Um, he uh, has a hard time kind of walking around and without the um, aid of a um, of a walker or later a wheelchair. Um, struggles with daily tasks and really overeats um, consistently. I think he eats like in the film it takes place basically over a week and every night he eats basically uh, two whole pizzas um, by himself. Um, but 
that is kind of like one of the added things. And so the week, um, he's kind of going into a uh, heart failure, cardiac uh, arrest. And so, um, uh, you find that out very early on in the film that his heart is kind of giving out and he spends the week trying to get in touch with his daughter. So, um, it's, it's interesting. Uh, now my interpretation, um, with this film, I think is that, um, that I think that this is this is a this is a way of working out kind of like imaginatively the themes of 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 faith um, and also the themes of like what does it mean to offer um, uh, to offer some type of insight into the intellectual life. What is the, what is the intellectual life really all about? As well as this deep deep. Um, desire to want to know that one's life is meaningful. And so there's something profoundly human at the heart of this film. Now, um, the thing that kind of sets up, or the, the reason why the uh, um, the need for the reconnection is because there's a falling away. So what happens is, is that Brandon Fraser, Charlie, he plays a character who got married to a woman named Mary, became a professor, and then ran away with one of his male students, abandoning Mary and Ellie, when Ellie was a young girl. And Ellie, at the time, she was eight, I think, when he left. Um, she really looked up to her dad, Charlie, and when he left, it was devastating. And so that's why there is this kind of harsh relationship. Ellie has turned out to be a very problematic child, even though Mary is trying to do her best uh, to care for her and things of that nature. You, you see Mary later on in the film. You see Ellie much earlier. Um, now... Uh, the other added element that is um, provided in addition to this uh, family drama is the religious and spiritual drama. So early on in the film, um, the very first scene, um, Charlie has or is experiencing some type of cardiac event. And it just so happens that a missionary is visiting him at the same time who, uh, you know, uh, calls uh, Charlie's friend Liz um, and Liz helps, uh, Charlie kind of through the event and things of that nature. Um, and she's basically, um, his only kind of caregiver. She'll come over like once a day and, um, you know, give him groceries, um, you know, check his vitals and things of that nature. And it's usually not great. Um, there's a, there's an argument to be made whether or not she enables him, but I don't think that's a fair interpretation of what's going on in her life because she obviously has her own trauma. Now, the reason I bring her up in this faith part is that she attended, because she was adopted, uh, by a deacon at this uh, local fundamentalist cult called uh, New Life, uh, which is in the film. Um, and this, uh, this cult uh, sent a missionary, uh, we find out later that that's, this is not the case, to, uh, you know, try and save people or get people to accept Jesus before the coming end times, which is about to occur, according to this um, missionary. This missionary's name is Thomas, as I mentioned. Um, and they start up kind of this weird friendship. I mean, there's something about Thomas that is not, like, that obviously is beholden to these very um, extremist fundamentalist beliefs, um, as constructed by his church, but also a deep desire to want to help people. So he'll come over to Charlie's house and, like, help him, you know, reach things he can't reach or 
um, clean things he can't clean or get into rooms that he can't get into anymore. You know, so I think it's um, it's interesting to see kind of their friendship develop because they're very different. They're very different. Now, um, come to find out, part of this, uh, the kind of the tension here is Liz, the nurse who comes and cares for Charlie and Charlie's friends, her brother died as a result of kind of some of the influences she alludes to from the church for new life. He comes to an understanding of his own sexuality, um, and but he's tied to this deeply held fundamentalist belief uh, about the end times and things of that nature, um, and really struggles with how to interpret the Bible uh, in light of his own understanding of sexuality, and, and he chooses to ultimately take his own life. And Liz blames the church for that. And so that's kind of the story element that you you hear from this. Now, um, her brother happens to be um, the young student that Charlie left his family to start dating. So there's all kinds of layers and complexities here and difficult, difficult topics and tensions to think through. Now, the fascinating thing about this story is that Charlie sits and hears all of these elements and of uh, the pitch that Thomas has offers some inside of his own. And then in the background of this, he's uh, teaching. He's constantly teaching English um, to a, a class. And even as he's teaching English to that class, his daughter reappears and he starts to tutor her in English, um, which is a very interesting kind of like whole amalgamation of things. Every day for Charlie is packed with these interesting themes. Now, um, the thing that's interesting is I'll say that this is the bottom. Like, so faith, I think is, is an overarching theme, probably a more overarching theme. I, I, I pick on the faith issue because I'm a person of faith, obviously myself, but probably the more central theme is this idea of authenticity. Who are you? Which is a fundamental question of a lot of literature, especially more modern literature that tries to assert the self over and against the world. Um, but this language of authenticity, of interpretation, right? Uh, Charlie complains about it a lot in his teaching. Um, and even in his interactions with Ellie, he wants her to write something real, something authentic. And so there's something that I find a little troubling about this, and it, it connects to the faith stuff a little bit, but more or less, you know, like, um, as an academic, I, I find this really hard because, you know, academics is itself working with texts, that themselves are kind of a part of um, certain canons of, uh, you know, whether you agree with what's in and what's out of those canons is, is one thing. But nonetheless, like the ability to work with and think with um, certain texts, especially in the humanities, is such a central um, practice and um, skill that one must learn. You know, and he challenges his students early on, and he, he kind of alludes to this early on, um, when he's complaining that his students really need to work on their thesis structures, paper structures, so on and so forth. And he gives them handouts for that. But later in the film, when he has kind of one of his mental breaks, he just, you know, complains. He says, just write me something real. And students just write about their anxieties and things of that nature, which, you know, it, there's a place for that. I mean, I'm not saying that these naming, for example, one's fear about losing a family member um, or like, you know, not enjoying one's major or, you know, not, you know, having friends or something of that nature. I'm not saying that's unimportant, but he seems to be jettisoning, jettisoning the need to work with these traditional texts and to become aware of them 
and to be able to write in such a way as as uh, he's jettisoning that in favor of these things, which I'm not sure is necessarily wanted or warranted or or none or good, you know. So, for example, this is really encapsulated well in a conversation between himself and his daughter. Um, he's trying to explain the importance of this poem that she's supposed to write about his daughter, and he's explaining the beauty of the poem to her as an English professor. He knows that. And she just says it's dumb, it's stupid, all these things. And, you know, finally, Charlie says, well, why don't you write about how dumb it is? And, and you know, those kind of things. And so, and she says, well, no one wants to hear that. It's kind of a critique of academia. And, I mean, she's in high school, so it's not like it's a college or university setting. Um, and the problem is, is that we, we need to develop the skills to think with texts. I mean, that's what the liberal arts education is about, to be deeply shaped and formed by these very difficult yet beautiful parts of our history. Uh, and we need to expand the canon, obviously, to include those that have been traditionally excluded um, from the canon. But nonetheless, these texts are an important thing that we have to learn to work with, to be careful with, to think with, and, and by thinking with them, learning how to think ourselves constructively, critically, imaginatively, even poetically. Um, that's a skill that's lost in a lot of uh, culture, parts of our culture. And in some sense, it, it is because we want this, this language of authenticity. We got to be authentic, original, and, and the first of our kind in this kind of possession of, of ourselves rather than trying to figure out what does it mean to learn, what is the process of thinking itself. And I think that that is one thing that I find deeply troubling in this film, is that it wants to completely destroy this understanding of tradition and things of that nature. It doesn't mean that every part of the tradition has to be preserved exactly as it is. There are ways to interrogate it, and there are ways to uh, critique it. But it does not mean that it does not have anything to offer or that it does not teach us a deeply fundamental thing about what it means to be human, especially with these works of great literature. And that's the point of all of this. Um, and so that theme of authenticity, right, is something that haunts Charlie, not only with his students, but in his own life. He wonders at several points whether he's actually done anything good. And one of the things you see with Charlie, and I mean, obviously this is expressed in his befriending of a fundamentalist missionary who keeps coming to his door, he's a very kind person. He's not a very mean person. He's trying to be kind to everyone he can be. Uh, everyone from Liz all the way to, to Ellie and even Dan, the pizza guy who delivers his pizza every day. Um, and so the language of authenticity is something that haunts him. Has he ever done anything that's worthwhile, right? He's this uh, uh, middle-aged, um, extremely overweight guy who's estranged, left his family, um, which he is haunted by, um, even though he knows that he did not want to stay in that marriage, right? He, he, he admits that. Nonetheless, he, he feels this great deal of guilt for what he did and the lives that he destroyed, namely his wife Mary and his daughter Ellie. Um, and so I think that, uh, I think that it's essential to think about this theme of authenticity and how in the end, right, there's this, there's this desire to have, a to make one's life meaningful, that one's choices have to be meaning making. I'm not necessarily sure that that is the best pressure. If nothing else, this film exposes that that pressure is prevalent and it haunts us and even causes us to, 
um, harm ourselves and others maybe in the process of trying to seek out the most meaningful life possible. Now, this is the place where I would want to talk about the value of tradition. Tradition is, a, I think, an, a, an important thing for our lives because we need institutions and practices and spiritual disciplines, um, especially, you know, if you identify as Christian, um, that help us understand who we are and our place in the world that helps us understand what the good life is. I was talking with a group of friends uh, just yesterday um, about this, and it's hard whenever, um, uh, like a friend of mine who um, graduated with a master's in social work was talking about how in her cohort, there's no one who's really of faith um, in that uh, group. Now, it doesn't mean that if you don't have faith, you don't have some type of moral compass. I'm not saying that at all. There are other traditions other than Christianity and religion that offer some kind of moral guidance. However, the problem is, is that all of us are more deeply shaped by things like capitalism and power and this own draw to authenticity than I think we really understand. Um, and so when this, my friend, she's talking about her cohort of social workers, when they come up with a really complex ethical decision, they feel lost. They have no idea what to do. Where, in fact, my friend who is and identifies as a Christian has a deep well of resources, a tradition, so to speak, of, of people who've gone before her and faced similar situations, but also spiritual disciplines that orient her to the present in a way to know how to navigate these things. Obviously, the being of God, too, being one of those things as well. And so, you know, the loss of tradition and in institutions is not necessarily something to be celebrating as often as we do you know right now in terms of politics and i'll get off my soapbox here in a second um one of the things we seem to be struggling with is that like we always love the rogue agent the one outside of the political elite who somehow promises to clean up you know the the muck and the mire and things like that and that happens on both sides of the aisle I'm not saying that's one or the other um and so the problem is, is that when they don't go through the same kinds of formations that we would expect, they just sow chaos. And so authenticity, I think, can be an idol in a certain sense of this word. So anyway, I'm off a soapbox. So back to Charlie. He's wanting that authenticity. He wants it from his students. He wants it from his daughter. But he also wants it from himself. Um, now, he has a week to find meaning. And so he contacts after his kind of cardiac episode at episode one, or episode one, sorry, cardiac episode at the beginning of the movie. He contacts his daughter, um, and she comes over to see him. She had not seen him in a while, and, um, you know, she had no idea, like, how much weight he had gained and things of that nature, so she's kind of taken back and um, really uh, flustered by what she saw. Now, she, was, she claims she's failing out of school, and she needs to improve in some subjects, and she says that the only reason she'll stay is if Charlie, her dad, will write her papers for her English classes because she failed those. And he agrees, and he agrees, uh, and he agrees to pay her if she'll just come and hang out with him so he could get to know her a little bit more. So uh, most of the time of the movie is kind of them, like, working together on on these things. He is trying to help her learn to develop her own voice in writing. Um, and, you know, she is just wanting the money and the uh, paper, uh, the papers from him. Now, one of the things you find out through this process 
is that um, he keeps, uh, he being um, Charlie, keeps an essay that his wife, Mary, sent him, written by Ellie, about Moby Dick. He reads that, or tries to read that at the beginning of the movie when he's having his cardiac episode, but he can't. And when Thomas comes in, he gives it to Thomas, and Thomas reads it to him. Um, but when Charlie doesn't die, um, he just takes the essay, puts it back in the special folder, and keeps it near him at all times. Um, he really likes this essay. It's clearly written by someone who's very young. Um, it's about Moby Dick, and she's writing about the whales in the movie. Hence the name of the, this movie is called The Whale, um, in a certain sense. Um, there's a connection there. And they, they try and make Charlie in various scenes appear more animalistic when he's eating or, or things like that. Trying to, or like binge eating especially, is trying to show you something a little bit more grotesque. Which is a theme in, the, in Aronofsky's films. He does have some grotesque elements to all of them. Anyone who's seen Mother knows that that's the case. Um, but the grotesque is not something that is, you know, unimportant or unvalued or like not like helpful. It can be used well. I think of like the themes of like uh, grotesque in someone like Tim Burton's films. Obviously, they're there for a purpose. And here, I think he's trying to do that as well. And I mean, whether he succeeds is up to a debate. But um, in some sense, it it kind of also messes with the storyline. Um, now. Uh, also during this time when Ellie is coming over, Thomas is coming over. Um, Thomas keeps coming over, trying to win over Charlie. And usually he's interrupted by Liz who chases him away. But one time he comes over whenever Ellie is there and there's an interesting revelation that occurs. What we find out is Charlie is actually not from new life, but he's from a similar cult in uh, a few States away. And that he actually stole some money from the church and ran away to try and uh, um, better his life. He basically um, was, uh, like, all he was doing is smoking weed. And he felt like he was a disgrace to his family and wanted to prove himself and save people so that he could be worth something to his parents. He wants to matter and belong. Again, he wants to do something authentic. Now, um, obviously, this is the case that... Uh, Ellie exploits this and puts it on social media and even contacts his church back home. Now, what's interesting is whether or not she does this intentionally as good or intentionally as bad, um, by reuniting him with his family or telling his family where he's at, the family reaches out and says, hey, listen, um, it's just money. We love you. You're our son. Please come back home, which is a very gracious response, right? Um, and so Th Thomas, like, he, he realizes he doesn't have to um, be a missionary in order to be meaningful to his parents. He can just go home and be, be with them. He doesn't need to smoke weed anymore either, but, um, his parents love him. He doesn't have to earn that, which I, th I think is a really beautiful thing. Right. Um, but the, the problem is, is that it's unclear what Ellie's motivations were in, you know, basically contacting the, the, the people. This is the point where, um, where Mary gets involved, she realizes her daughter is now not at as home as much as often as she normally is, figures out why that is, and Liz actually reaches out to Mary to tell her that Ellie's been coming over in an attempt to try and get it to stop because Liz knows that this is not good for Charlie. Ellie is very cruel and very mean to Charlie, and he's got a really bad heart and that he does not need this stress in his life. 
So Mary comes over in an attempt to try and put a stop to it all. Um, and that's where you kind of have this sweet sentimental moment between Charlie and Mary, um, who's very much still in love with Mary. And I think Charlie very much is still in love with, with uh, Mary as well. I think both of them still have feelings for each other. Um, and even though, you know, he hurt her, which, you know, comes out in kind of a fight, right? She she still very much cares for him and doesn't want bad things to happen to him. It's a very, I think, powerful scene that deals with the complexities of human relationships. But I think he moves from guilt to grief here pretty well. Um, he He feels guilty about, I think, his life, and he's trying to do better by it. Uh, it kind of comes to a head in a couple different scenes that are, are pretty interesting. One is Thomas coming over and telling Charlie that he's going to go home because his parents told him that he loved him and so on and so forth, you know. Um, and he's excited about that, but the last thing he wants to do is convert Charlie. Um, but it doesn't work out because, you know, uh, Charlie and him just see the world differently and um, and ultimately it ends with, Thomas telling Charlie that he finds him disgusting. Um, and I, I felt like that scene was a little forced. I probably could have done without that. Like, he didn't really do or add much to the plot. But nonetheless, um, it happened. And so he left. Um, Dan, the, the pizza driver who you just hear through the door one time, stays back to see who is this person that orders two pizzas a night. And uh, Charlie sees himself in the eyes of Dan. Um and becomes disgusted, which leads to a binge um, eating episode and him posting that information, that request to his students to write something real. Um, and, you know, ultimately leads to him getting fired. Uh, he's so hard on his, you know, uh, on his uh, students. They, they, they complain enough and he gets, he gets replaced as an instructor. Now, what's interesting is that uh, the thing that he pays his daughter with is uh, this money that um, he has saved up from being an online instructor. And it sounds like he's an adjunct, which if you know anything about adjuncts, I, I certainly do. Uh, there's no way that they could save up the amount of money that Charlie proclaims to have sa uh, saved up, which is over $100,000 um, for Ellie, you know, and he did that um, without Ellie's knowledge and um, and Mary wouldn't let Ellie know because, you know, obviously there was some broken relationship there and it's, it's very complicated. I don't want to get into all of it right now. Um, but as the movie's coming to a close, he ha you have that scene where Thomas finally tells Charlie he finds him disgusting, not only because of his lifestyle, but because of his weight and ultimately leaves, right? And then you have Ellie come back over and the essay that he wrote for her was actually not a new essay, but it was just a typed up version of that essay that she wrote as a kid that he, uh, for about Moby Dick. Um, and he tells her it's the most beautiful thing he's ever read. And he thinks it's the best essay. Um, and she, you know, and there's this moment where she's leaving cause she's so mad and she opens this, the door and there's light shining in and he, uh, reads the essay. Like she reads the essay out loud to him and she remembers it. And ultimately, like, you know, this is the moment where Charlie dies. He gets up and he walks to her without the assistance of a walker. And the last scene is him kind of being lifted off the ground. It's almost as if he was being, he was ascending into heaven. Um, and, you know, there's a lot more to this film. You know, finally, when Liz finds out that he has a lot of money, 
um, her being upset because of all the sacrifices she's made just to care for him, you know, ultimately find out that the part of the reason why she, I think, uh, quote unquote, might look like she's enabling him is that her brother would not eat towards the end of his life. And so she's always trying to get him to eat and it's much easier to get Charlie to eat. Um, right. And so it's a very interesting film that kind of deals with the gray areas of like, what does it mean to have faith? Right. I think Charlie has some faith of his own. Um, it's different than Thomas's faith. Um, and you know, and obviously like there are people who have different kinds of faith, you know, Christian or not. Um, we all put faith in something in our lives. And so it's a challenge to, to think through the complexities of what it means to be a human, to experience the grief of life, to mess up, to err, and to try and want to do right, right? The movement from guilt to grief is this guilt that Charlie feels over leaving his family to try and grieve it, to know that he did wrong, um, that he is trying to now do right um, by his family, you know, not treating them poorly. Um, and abandoning his daughter, things of that nature. And so that's his journey, too. That's his self-professed journey. That's not my um, trying to impose an interpretation. He's, he he re deeply regrets in this film and laments what he has done to his family, um, even though he probably would not have done anything different if he would go back and do it. And so, um, or at least maybe, I don't know if that's the case, he doesn't really get into that, but you know that he feels wrong for what he has done, we don't get to live life backwards, only forwards, and he is now trying to do right, um, and that's, I mean, that's, I think, a story that all of us, in some sense, experience, and I'm not saying that all of us, you know, creates our, uh, find ourselves committing some egregious, um, immoral thing um you know like in terms of uh leaving one's family or abandoning one's daughter as charlie is is confessing that he has done but rather um we all make mistakes in life um and we all have to deal with the grief that that causes um the guilt that that causes and what we do with that guilt and and how we move from guilt to grief to constructive healing i think is very important and so I think it's a deeply human film. I think it's a, a film worthwhile um, to consider and contemplate, to think about themes of faith and all of that um, too. And so I would check it out. You know, I think that there are some themes that they don't execute super well, but nonetheless, I think um, it, it offers a powerful movie. So anyway, um, check it out. Let me know if, if you uh, uh, like it. Let me know if I missed anything. Um, that'll about do it for me. Um, if you'd like to help the podcast, please re leave a review. Thank you for those who have already. We have two five-star reviews on um, Apple Podcasts right now. So wherever you listen to podcasts, feel free to leave us a review. It helps other people find us. Uh, we'll be back shortly here with another review on A Man Called Otto, a new Tom Hanks film, but also um, our body snatcher theme. Kyle and I will be back together shortly. Um, so be well, stay safe, happy new year, and we wish you the very best. Uh, and thanks for joining us here on the Art House Roadshow. Thanks, guys. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on Art House Roadshow. We'll see you next time.